This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. We have a great show today. We're sharing what our staff is working on, uh, a story of a woman in Montana who's sewing to keep those in shelters warm, and how to choose the right rotary cutter for the job. But first, we're sharing info on block swaps. Block swaps are a great way to connect with other quilters, feel part of a community, and make gorgeously scrappy quilts. So I'm going to hand the mic over to Jody, who's going to share more on what to expect and how to host one. So take it away, Jody. I'm Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. One of my favorite things to do is to participate in block swaps. I started trading quilt blocks 30 years ago as part of my local quilt guild. Each month, a new pattern was distributed, and the number of blocks that you made and brought back the next month allowed your name to be entered that many times for a chance to win all of the blocks. Some months, there were even enough blocks to have two winners. My love affair with small blocks and tiny pieces started in 1996, when the Jane Stickle Quilt and Patterns were published in the Dear Jane book by Brenda Papadakis. In addition to making blocks for my own quilt, I also traded blocks made with Christmas fabrics with other Janiacs. That was the name of those of us who were just so smitten with that quilt. In 1999, as Y2K was approaching, I exchanged blocks with quilters that I didn't know personally via the U.S. Postal System. All of these swaps resulted in some good and some not-so-good results. I asked three quilt designers for advice in conducting and participating in successful quilt block swaps. First off, I asked designer Lynn Roddy Brown to tell me about what she's learned about making scrap quilts from block swaps. And here's what she said. Everything I know about scrap quilts, I learned by trading blocks. Using other quilters' blocks is sometimes a challenge, but it can make you grow as a quilter. The block that uses a, well, not so great fabric that you would never use or may have bought actually can turn a boring quilt into a terrific one. And Lynn has these three tips. Number one, trade blocks that are easy to piece and can be made accurately. Making 204 patches is a better option than a few hard to piece 12 inch blocks. The second tip from Lynn, choose blocks that can be put together in a quilt in a variety of ways instead of those that need to be set on point or have a defined top and bottom. And finally, make multiple quilts from a single trade. She says, 
When I get blocks in a trade, the first thing I do is I put them up on the design wall in a straight set. When all the blocks are on the wall, I can see what colors stand out and how much the blocks contrast. I can see what patterns that the blocks make and secondary patterns as well. Sometimes I can arrange blocks into one quilt that's more planned with its design and value and then use the remaining blocks in a different scrappier quilt. Another variation of a block swap is an exchange of smaller units like triangle squares or flying geese units. Designer, designer Tammy Vonderschmidt participated in a swap with 1,400 triangle square units. And here are some things that she learned in that block swap. Number one, if you're leading the swap, clearly spell out the details. Make sure everyone understands the due date and any other guidelines that you might have. The second tip from Tammy is to follow the rules. For example, if you all agree to remove the paper from foundation piecing blocks, make sure that you follow through. Number three, use your best fabrics. You will appreciate receiving the same back. Many swaps specify that blocks should be made from quilt shop quality fabric only. Tip number four from Tammy. Pay attention to fabric placement guidelines. So if they ask for a specific color in the blocks or maybe a specific placement in the position of light, medium, and dark values. Number five, start early and do your best work. It always takes longer than you think. If you aren't rushed when you're sewing, your workmanship will probably be better. And her last tip is, some groups have participants pay a fee of like $20 or $25 when they sign up for the swap. The money is then refunded to each person when they submit their swap blocks or seg segments back. And this helps to minimize no-shows or people that back out. And finally, Tammy says, although we didn't have a color or theme guidelines in my first block swap, I love the modern, traditional, bright, and even the more sedate blocks that I received. And amazingly, they all worked well together. The final designer that I talked to is Annette Plog, and Annette is a member of the 19th century patchwork divas. This is a group of quilters who love recreating quilts based on antique quilts. Members make their own quilts based on a particular theme or pattern, but they also do block exchanges. And I asked Annette, how do they ensure that all of the blocks come back as the same size? And here's what she said. Know the level of expertise of those in the swap. Our group has been together for a long time, and we know the ability levels of those involved. We discuss and agree on how to piece the block. Someone does a sample block to test the instructions to alleviate any potential problems. We also specify on how to press. Blocks go together better if we all press seams in the same way. I also asked Annette, do you establish guidelines for fabrics? And here's what she said. 
While we don't want to stifle creativity, we have found that the more specific that we are about what kinds of fabrics to use, the better the result. Because we're a group trying to reproduce antique quilts, we aim to have fabric that mimics a particular era or time period. Since pre-washing fabrics varies among quilters, we also decide ahead of time if fabrics must be pre-washed or not. And Annette suggests to try participating in a swap. If you prefer more control over color and fabric choices, it might not be for you. But if you enjoy a variety of fabrics in your quilts and you believe that the scrappier the better, swaps are a great way to achieve that look in your quilts. I wholeheartedly agree, Annette, and I hope that you'll consider joining a blop swap or maybe even starting one yourself. Thanks so much, Jody. Block swaps sound like a blast. I've personally never done one, but now that I've heard all this info, I think it would be so fun to try one. Maybe we need to organize one with our office. So if any of my coworkers are listening right now, let me know if you're interested. <laughs> and if you want to hear more from Annette Plog, who Jody mentioned, we chatted with her on episode 460, and she talks a lot about block swaps and the joy they bring her, but also where some of the downfalls may come in when you're starting your own group. So we suggest listening to all of her great tips on episode 460 if you're thinking of diving in and making your own. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we hear what Jody is working on and how a woman is keeping her town's residents warm in the winter. Welcome back. I'm kicking the mic back to Jody for What's on Your Workspace, a segment where our staff shares what they're working on now. So take it away, Jody. Well, I'm making nine patch square dance. It's by designer Sherry McConnell, and the pattern is in the April 2021 issue of American Patchwork and Quilting. Now, if you don't have the issue of the magazine, you can also go to apqshop.com and buy a single pattern. This is our APQ quilt along quilt for 2021, and I'm making a super scrappy version. I'm using fabrics that were gifted to me by a friend, and also lots of 19th century reproduction fabrics for my stash. You can join our Facebook group or search the hashtag APQQuiltalong to see my progress. Next, I'm handing the mic over to Allison, the designer of Quilts and More magazine, for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. Take it away, Allison. Most of the U.S. has been experiencing unusually cold temperatures lately, leaving many unhoused individuals cold and unprepared for such extreme weather. Darlene Newstrom of Billings, Montana, couldn't stop thinking about people on the street who didn't have the right clothing to stay warm during the winter. Four years ago, she came up with the idea of creating durable mittens from recycled wool fabrics. She had never sewn mittens before, but after making a couple of pairs and figuring out what worked and what didn't, she just kept on going. After she had made a handful to donate, she started looking for more places to donate. She said, I don't know why making that first phone call was so hard for me. I didn't really believe that this is what I was supposed to be doing. Her thoughts on this soon changed 
once she began receiving requests from various organizations asking for mittens for the unhoused population. Now I don't worry about who I'm going to give them to. I know a need will pop up somewhere, she said. Since Darlene started making mittens four years ago, she has sewn and donated nearly 3,000 pairs. Donations have gone to places like the Crisis Center, Off the Streets, the Mental Health Center, and Gratitude in Action. Darlene usually spends between two and three hours a day making mittens in her basement. A lot of that time is actually spent sourcing and preparing the recycled materials. She washes the wool fabric and cuts patterns from the wool and a fleece lining. She then pairs them together and starts sewing. A lot of the wool material Darlene uses is donated from community members, but she often searches thrift stores and garage sales to find wool peacoats, blankets, or scarves that she can repurpose. Her main goal is to use material that is at least 60% wool, which just helps provide that extra warmth. She typically buys fleece fabric for the mitten lining when it's discounted at fabric stores. Anybody who has wool coats, scarves, or blankets that they no longer want or need, I will gladly take them, she said. In addition to Darlene's passion for providing warmth for those in need, she's an all-around generous person. As a retired special education teacher, she worked part-time in the local school district up until COVID hit. She then pivoted to sewing face masks for the unsheltered, donating 1,100 masks to housing and urban development before it closed in October. That didn't stop her from continuing to help those in need. She and her friends began cooking burritos on a weekly basis for participants in the Off the Streets program. In recent weeks, as temperatures really took a dive, she's still been mindful that many people in the Billings area are in desperate need of warm, protective clothing. Darlene still spends many hours a week in her basement sewing mittens. I don't know who needs them, and I hate to say I'm ignorant on how many mittens might be needed, she said. I always say, if wool quits coming, I'll know I'm done. Sometimes it gets thin around here and I won't hardly have any, but in four years, it hasn't quit coming. If you're interested in donating wool materials for Darlene's mittens, you can contact her at mrsnewsy at gmail.com. We'll also put a link in our show notes. Thanks so much, Allison. I always love hearing stories of people helping their communities. And like Allison said, we'll link to more info on how you can help Darlene in our show notes. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing some info on rotary cutters and how to join our free virtual quilt retreat. Welcome back. I'm here with Joanna, the editor of Quilts and More magazine for Sewing Toolbox, a segment where we explore the basic tools you use daily in your sewing room. What are we talking about today, Joanna? So today we're talking rotary cutters. In past sewing toolbox segments, we've talked about some tools and notions that have very specific functions, like specific rulers for foundation piecing or using particular short pins for applique. But I feel like rotary cutters as a topic is a little different because there are a variety of shapes and sizes of cutters on the market but they all basically do the same thing, which is make straight cuts on fabric. That leaves you a lot of freedom to pick cutters that appeal to you. For example, 
I chose what ended up becoming my favorite rotary cutter just because it was purple, which happens to be my favorite color. It also has a stick handle that fits comfortably in my hand, which honestly is more important than the color, but I, I got to admit, I bought it for the looks. So what's your go-to rotary cutter like, Lindsay? Uh, well, Joey, and I think you and I maybe have the same favorite rotary cutter because mine is also purple <laughs> and has a stick handle. Um, but yeah, I've tried a lot over the years, just different brands, different types of handles, different size blades. And I think you it's really like a personal preference and what feels best for you. And sometimes I think people stick with the first rotary cutter type they've bought, though, because they don't realize how many options there actually are out there, and they just get used to that first one they bought. You know, I think you're actually right, because for the longest time, I used a particular style. And then um, when I started working in the quilting industry and was exposed to more, that's when I found out I actually prefer the stick handles, which, again, my favorite one now currently has a stick handle. Mm -hmm. So to break down some of the rotary cutter options out there and help you narrow down your choices, because there are a lot of choices, we're going to focus on two main things today, handle style and blade size. For handle style, the most common type is probably that stick handle we mentioned earlier. This type of handle is a straight piece of plastic or metal, usually with an indentation for your index finger and thumb. It can easily be adjusted for left or right-handed sewing. It often has a plastic blade cover that you slide into place with a flick of your thumb as well. Yeah, and this is an important time to mention that those blade covers are for safety. Um, rotary cutters, of course, are sharp, and you don't want to accidentally cut yourself on an open or exposed blade. So if you're not already doing this, you should be closing the blade or putting the guard up between every cut. Don't just leave it sitting open on the table, especially if uh, maybe you have a messier workspace because then you might go to pick something up or grab something and not realize that the blade is right there. Good point. Or if you have pets, I'm always worried I'm going to drop it if it's open. So um, it's always good to be safe. We've heard horror stories. So yeah, I luckily have never cut myself, but I just had a good sewing teacher who taught me that from the very start. And now I'm I would be scared to leave it open. <laughs> Same. I, I've, I've heard other people's horror stories, but I have been lucky to not have one myself, probably because of those good teachers. Uh, speaking of safety, some styles of rotary cutter have buttons you press to lock the blade in place. And then pressing the button again can retract the blade. So um, just make sure you know how to uh, work that safety feature depending on your particular style of rotary cutter. Uh, those ones with the buttons are usually squeeze handles, so you squeeze the blade to move, or excuse me, squeeze the handle to move the blade into position, um, and those are just good for people with extra safety concerns because it automatically snaps back into a safe position. Another common style of handle you see is the loop type handle, which, similar to scissors, has a looped design shaped for your hand that you place your fingers into. Some quilters find the loop design more comfortable and ergonomic. Yeah, and speaking of ergonomics, I saw a really cool rotary cutter that's adjustable, so you can position the blade so that it's right below the handle so you can relieve some of that wrist strain because um, just of how the pressure works with the design. So um, rotary cutting is really hard on your wrist, so if you're cutting for longer periods of time or, or if you just feel pain when you cut, um, it might be worth looking into those options. Absolutely, that's a great point. So moving on to the blades, an important part of choosing your rotary cutter is what size of blade it fits. Common sizes are 28 millimeter, 45 millimeter, and 60 millimeter blades. 
If you're cutting lots of small pieces, choose tools to match, including a smaller, smaller rotary cutter, both for safety reasons, so that you don't accidentally cut yourselves with tools that are too big for tiny cuts, and also to avoid miscuts, because with a larger blade, um, sometimes you'll cut too far. If you're sewing thicker fabrics or lots of layers, go for that bigger cutter for sure. Yeah, it really does help to have the right tools for the job. Um, I keep a rotary cutter of each size uh, on my in my workspace so that I can just pick up the one I need. Um, and just another thing to consider are specialty blades like pinking shears or pinking blades. Um, so those blades create little zigzag edges that help keep your fabrics from fraying. Uh, I've also used them in the past to clip into the seam allowance to reduce bulk. So you often do this when you're sewing curves or 3D objects. And then you can just change the specialty blade out with your regular blades as you need them. You don't have to have a rotary cutter specifically for your pinking blade. <laughs> Very true. Just make sure that any specialty blades you might pick up fit your particular cutter. Most of the specialty blades are 45 millimeters since that's the most common rotary cutter size. But again, you might find one smaller and then it's not gonna fit your particular cutter. So just double check that they're both the same size. If you can, I always suggest going to your local quilt shop and trying out a few of the cutters. You wanna make sure that it feels comfortable in your hand and you really can't tell that just looking at images online. Yeah, great tips, Joanna, thanks for sharing. Now it's time for Behind the Scenes from the Crafts Lab, a segment where we share what's going on in our offices. And today we wanted to share more info about our virtual quilt retreat. We've mentioned it a few times over the past month, but since we're only a few days away, we wanted to share some more details. We've been hosting virtual quilt retreats for four years now. We started it as a way to celebrate National Quilting Day with our social media followers each year, but realized how important these retreats are becoming to people during the pandemic, so have since added more to our yearly schedule. So National Quilting Day is March 20th this year, so our retreat is the same day. It's a Saturday, and we host it from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. But the fun stays up in the future, too, so if you have to tune in late or the following days, you won't miss anything. Basically, you can follow along on either our Instagram or Facebook page, and we um, post each hour a fun question or a photo prompt, and everyone responds and shares. So in the meantime, you can work on whatever project you want in your own home. Uh, I use it as a great opportunity to wear my comfy clothes all day and get my favorite snacks and just treat myself to some uninterrupted sewing time. But it's so fun to pop onto social media every once in a while and look through comments and photos and chat with quilters from all over the world. So if you're free on Saturday, we hope you can join us. Uh, we'll post a link to all the details in our show notes, but you can also easily find us on social media by searching for American Patchwork and Quilting on Facebook or All People Quilt on Instagram. And don't worry if you can't attend this time. We host a few of these virtual retreats each year, so there will be other opportunities to join the fun. And we're also having a little sale to celebrate National Quilting Day, so all of our digital patterns in our pattern store will be 50% off from March 20th to March 28th. 
Our pattern store is apqshop.com and we have hundreds of patterns. So check out the sale and you don't need a special coupon code or anything. It just will automatically be subtracted at checkout. So we'll link to the store in our show notes too. Before we leave today, we wanted to share a fun review of our podcast. This one comes from Jay Giebe. They say, thank you so much for your podcasts. What a difference they have made in my life this past year. From your quilting tips to interviews with national and international quilters, I can't wait for the next program. Congrats on 500 episodes. I have listened to some more than once. This means so much to us. Thank you for your kind review. If it's yours, please email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. We list the email in our show notes so that we can send you a little thank you gift. And of course, we'd love if others would leave a review. We just might read yours on an upcoming show. Thanks everyone for listening. Have a great week and we'll chat with you next episode.